Welcome to the Imposture to Unstoppable podcast, where physicians can learn how to overcome imposter syndrome and create the career of their dreams. Suzanne Atkinson is an emergency medicine physician, triathlon coach, and life coach. During residency, she decided to train for a triathlon in order to reduce stress on her body from running. After hiring a coach to help her complete the Escape from Alcatraz Triathlon, she founded her own triathlon coaching company called Steel City Endurance. Since then, she has helped endurance athletes qualify for national and world championships. In addition to working in a busy community ER, she created TriCoachAcademy.com, which is a triathlon coach education memberships. She also has a podcast called Try to Listen, and help stressed out physicians get their mojo back with her physician life coaching program called Heal You. Suzanne, welcome. Thank you for being here. Oh, thanks for having me. So let's just dive right in how I like to do. And you tell me, um, if you don't mind, about your experiences with imposter syndrome. Um, sure. I can think of uh, several different types of experiences, both in my professional uh, work as a physician and also my um, well, I guess it's still professional work as a triathlon coach. Um, you know, as a doctor, the training that we go through is progressive and other physicians would know that of course, but from the outside, people may not realize how much supervision is involved and from one level to the next, as you go from student to intern to, uh, upper level to attending, there's always someone available to ask questions and to check your work. But when you're in the middle of it, it's hard to realize that you're not the one that's responsible for everything. Um, and the first time I remember experiencing what I'd call imposter syndrome was probably, um, well, there's, there's several examples, but on trauma rotation, I remember going to, a, going to the ER for a car accident. And as the second year trauma resident, that person is supposed to run the whole trauma code. So they're in charge of everything that happens during the code. Um, and of course, in an academic center, that's also a trauma center, the people that work there, they, don't, they all know their roles and the nurses know what they do and the red radiology techs know what they do as well. But this patient had a really bad chest injury with multiple rib fractures and had uh, what's called a sucking chest wound. Um, should I go ahead and describe what that is? Yeah, sure. Um, a, a, a second chest wound is when there is an injury that causes a hole in the chest wall and it needs to be um, addressed quickly because you can get uh, pressure that builds up around the heart and, and someone can die from the second chest wound. So it needs to be recognized and treated quickly. So as the second year trauma resident, I was supposedly in charge of everything that happened in this room. And it didn't mean that I had to do everything, but I had to be the one to manage and direct all of the treatment. And I remember feeling frozen, uh, not knowing, knowing what to do, but the words not coming out of my mouth. And the pressure of having to tell someone right now what the next step is, makes it even harder to think about what to do. So my uh, trauma attending, he was kind of like an angel in the room. And I would, I heard this little whisper over my left shoulder. And He's like, he's got a second chest. <laughs> and I heard him say that. And then I knew instantly what to do. It was sort of prompted me. Um, and so I was able, uh, I think I did end up putting that chest tube in, but 
in the midst of all that chaos, uh, there's all this doubt, you know, have I really learned enough information to take care of this patient? Uh, why are they trusting me to do this? I don't really know anything. You know, and many of the nurses had many, many more years of experience than I did. And a lot of them were also, um, had been battlefield nurses. So, you know, it was a lot of pressure, but after that experience of, you know, getting from A to B, you know, beginning of the code, walking into the room until getting the chest tube in and seeing his blood pressure go back up to normal and his breathing return to normal, that was just, you know, an amazing feeling and an affirmation that I really did know what to do. And that, and from there, it was just a matter of practicing, you know, practicing the management, not just the procedures. I like that you mentioned the um, transitions that we go through, through, you know, our training. And I think it's important that you bring that up because imposter syndrome can creep in in every single one of those transitions. And I think so many people, me, myself included, can think about all the times in residency when we had those doubts of there's no way I'm ever going to be able to do this on my own. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, th there was another time, I think it was during the same rotation, I guess it seems like this trauma rotation br brought up a lot of insecurities and doubts, <laughs> but I was with a, I don't remember if it was a third year or a fourth year uh, rotating student, but I was in the ER reviewing a trauma case. It wasn't a code, but I had to go down and see the patient and, uh, you know, do a trauma consult. And th there were all of the typical x-rays and imaging studies, you know, head CT, chest, abdomen, pelvis. And of course we had radiology reads, but it, that was back in, in the days when it wasn't instantaneous digital voice transcription to get a read. And we looked at all of our own films in addition to waiting for the official read. And so I was sitting in a reading room uh, or just in a consult, consult room with this medical student going through you know, my checklist. And for me, it was, you know, literally a checklist of everything that I had to do, all of these tasks. And in my mind, I wasn't really synthesizing what was going on. I was just, you know, does the patient have a head injury? Does he have rib fractures? Does he have abdominal injury? And as I went through each study with a medical student, he said to me, wow, when did you really feel like it all came together for you? <laughs> And it made me realize, again, that these, these levels of training in just two short years or one and a half years during my residency, I had learned an awful lot about trauma that this third or fourth year student knew nothing about. Um, and I recognized that that was me just a short time ago. So again, the um, being faced with something for the first time that is kind of high stakes is a time where, there's, where I've had a lot of self-doubt. And then after having gone through it and people were patting me on the back or saying good job or someone saying, wow, when did it all come together for you? And internally I felt like nothing was together, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so that was another uh, training related experience of imposter syndrome. Yeah. And I think that's, that's an interesting thing to think about, which I haven't really considered is it's very, very rare that, we very rarely look back and see how far we've come and how, you know, there are so many things that we've learned because I think we're so caught up in what else there is to know and how much further we have to go to get to the point where we feel confident. So it's, it's, 
almost refreshing to have those experiences, you know, at the same time as a little bit um, making it's showing us some humility, but also realizing, wow, I have really, there's so much that I've grown. And I don't think that we appreciate that growth quite as much as we should, especially during training. Yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, when I have students shadow me, which doesn't happen as often as I work primarily in a community ER. So the students that come are uh, volunteers who are looking for clinical experience. It's not a regular rotation. And a lot of times I've had pre-med students that I know from, um, from my triathlon. I sometimes work with the, with the triathlon club at the university. And a lot of those kids, for some reason, um, think that medicine is a pretty cool career. So I'll have them shadow me as well. And the amount of curiosity for someone who's not even begun the journey is it's reaffirming that, you know, I have followed this process and I've learned all these things and I actually know enough to teach someone in a way that they think is cool and interesting and not overwhelming. You know, I have mm -hmm. um, the choice of teaching it to the level of a pre-medical student or a patient or a colleague and you get to sort of pick your level of communication. Yeah. So did this, did the, thoughts of self-doubt or imposter syndrome, do they still come up for you today or not so much? Um, for, for medicine, they do, but not in the same way. It's more a thought of, I've, I've been through all this before. Uh, I know what to do when, um, when there's an emergency, I will instinctively know the right thing to do. Um, and that happens for the most part, yet at the same time, you know, the true emergencies, those, uh, the, the code like the trauma code that I told you about, unless you're in a super busy academic center, you know, and even then those, they don't happen all the time. They don't happen every day. So um, primarily in the community, we're non-trauma center. So I'm thinking about medical emergencies, uh, but anyone can show up at the door of the emergency room with um, you know, a medical emergency or a gunshot could get dropped off. And so I'm constantly um, reviewing the things that I've learned before. So it, currently with medicine, it's less an imposter syndrome and more just wanting to be sure that I'm up to date with the latest research and that I've reviewed the fundamentals uh, frequently enough to make sure that I'm doing, still doing the right thing. Um, and for that reason, I really, really enjoy working with residents and uh, going to their educational conferences and working with new attendings so that they can, um, you know, they probably don't realize it, but they can give me feedback on the latest um, approaches for uh, XYZ um, that I may not be aware of. You know, maybe I haven't, the journal articles haven't come to my consciousness yet. And so I haven't sat down to review changes. Um, but yeah, so it's a different feeling now for, for medicine. There are other mm -hmm. things that I do that are new, you know, I, I'm always interested in, in growing and changing. Um, and one of the things that I'm currently doing is trying to um, expand my triathlon coaching um, uh, skills by teaching other triathlon coaches. Um, and so since that's, a, since training other coaches is a newer area for me, again, I experienced the same thoughts all over again. Um, mm -hmm. for example, with the, uh, the COVID, um, you know, quarantines, pools are closed, gyms are closed, races were canceled. So a lot of triathlon coaches were sitting around trying to figure out how to keep their businesses going. 
um, you know, what to do with their athletes who didn't have any races to train for. And I saw a lot of athletes, or uh, sorry, a lot of coaches um, trying to give back to the triathlon coach community by doing things like offering um, groups, uh, you know, free workout sets, um, you know, sharing information on our online training platform, um, and just trying to help out other coaches. Um, and so I wanted to do something similar. And I, this is probably the, the most recent experience of imposter syndrome. So I thought, well, I would like to teach coaches about um, lots of different things, you know, the overlap between medicine and triathlon or the overlap between anatomy or biomechanics and, and triathlon. Like I could teach a coach something about the swim stroke by teaching them about anatomy. Um, and so I decided to offer this for free, but I had all these thoughts like, is anyone really going to be interested or can I explain it uh, in an adequate way that someone who's already coaching swimmers, are they going to learn anything from me? And it really is a, another version of imposter syndrome because as a physician, we learn an awful lot about, um, you know, biomechanics and physiology and, you know, injury prevention. So it seems like a natural flow, but for me, I was worried about who's going to show up. Are they going to be interested? Are they going to be bored? Um, and, you know, I got really good feedback and good attendance for the people that were there. And after I did maybe two of those over the summer, now I get really excited about doing them. And, you know, I can't wait for it. And when the call is going live, I get super energized and I just love teaching and I love the feedback and questions that I get. That's really fascinating. And it's so important that we all do that. And then I think a lot of physicians don't ever try to branch out outside of medicine and, and really embrace those growth opportunities. Um, a couple of things I want to, I want to highlight here are this idea of having a growth mindset. And I think going into medical school, I think still we, there's this like unwritten thought that we eventually could know everything. Like eventually we'll know enough that we'll feel like we, you know, like then I'll feel really right. good, but that doesn't ever happen ever. And right. there's this assumption that someday I'll know everything when that's <laughs> impossible and things are constantly changing. And I think that's great that, you know, you are aware that there are, that you can always learn more. I think it's when you loop, when you have that fixed mindset of this is what I know and I can't get any better that we, we mm -hmm. struggle as physicians. I think we're, we're doing, we do ourselves a disservice. Right. And I think it's, it's more than just the growth mindset for the fixed mindset is certainly there, but there's also a component of, of, um, you know, self doubt or self confidence or, uh, or having confidence and having the assurance that, you know, you can get to the next level. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I've been thinking to myself since you asked me to be on this podcast and you know, in my um, work with other, uh, other physicians, which is another place where I'm experiencing imposter syndrome is uh, coach or sorry, physician coaching. Mm -hmm. um, you know, what, how do you coach someone who's experiencing imposter syndrome? How do do I have the skills to help them sort of rise up above this? And, you know, I can't give someone confidence, but how can I help that person reach a point where they can grow? And for me, it, I had to, uh, you know, in training, you know, you go through first year, second year, third year, you know, there's always another step ahead. And so in the midst of the, the worst rotation with the most hours and just getting hammered with 
questions from your, your attendings and, uh, and senior residents, you know that there's a point somewhere in the future where you get to be that person. And you don't know how to get from here to there because you're just too in the midst of it, but there's mm-hmm. somewhere to go. There's a prog- progression. With most other things that we do, you know, once you finish your training or, you know, if you're a triathlon coach or if you're a triathlete or a swimmer, there's no like guaranteed program for you. Mm-hmm. You have to choose to be open-minded and have the self-awareness that imposter syndrome is a thing. And how do I get out of feeling like an imposter? You have to be open to receiving criticism. You know, mm-hmm. so if someone criticizes my webinar and says, oh, that was dumb or I didn't learn anything, that's just going to reinforce the imposter syndrome. But until I put myself in the position where I could hear that as a possibility, I also open myself to the possibility of hearing all the good things that people have to say. Um, so there's a real balance there of being vulnerable enough to receive the positive and the negative criticism and, and still sort of put the negative criticism to the side and use that to learn, but respond more to the positive criticism so that you can continue to grow in that direction. Absolutely. And I, you know, I coach women physicians with imposter syndrome. So this is kind of my jam if you, <laughs> if you didn't know that, but this is like my favorite thing to talk oh, about. Oh, yeah. Um, but I think the, the important thing that has, has helped me and other, and other people too, is that imposter syndrome really is just a series of thoughts that we have. I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I don't know what I'm doing. And if you can get, if you can recognize that you're having the thoughts, which for many people, they go unnoticed. All they know is that they feel unworthy. They feel like they're not good enough but they don't know the thought that triggers that. And if you can uncover what that is, then you can take the power back because you can change your thoughts. So it's those two key things that were so imperative for me to get to overcome my imposter syndrome was just realize that I have these thoughts that everybody has and I don't have to believe any, I don't have to believe them. And that's been really fundamental for me when it comes to my imposter syndrome. And Mm -hmm. I th- back to what you said about um, doing, you know, branching out and doing all these other things now, coaching triathlon coaches and coaching physicians mm-hmm. and allowing that new experience to bring up these self-doubts. But I think that's such a valuable exercise and way to grow as a, as a human being because it's really easy to get um, complacent and just say like, this is, you know, and get really comfortable and you choosing to do those things to grow is going to be so much more fulfilling for you. Yeah. Um, a lot of my friends will say, you know, oh, I don't know. I have time to do everything with my, my triathlon coaching and, uh, you know, pre COVID I was would travel to do, uh, swim camps and triathlon camps. And now, uh, I've spent a lot of time doing, um, artwork, you know, getting better at, uh, at watercolor. That's the thing that oh, I've chosen to, yeah. to study. And, you know, then I post pictures of my watercolors online and I've actually had friends offer to, to buy some of the pieces that I made. And I'm like, what this, you want to buy this, you know, because when you're, it, it's just like everything we've talked about when you're in the midst of the process of learning and putting lines and paint on paper, you know, you see every flaw and try to correct mm-hmm. every mistake. And it's hard to see that overhead view and say, oh, this actually looks like a landscape or this looks like an owl or this looks like, you know, a heart. I tried to do a couple of medical anatomy 
mm-hmm. illustrations. And, you know, cer- certainly compared to a professional, I don't think they're anything fancy, but that's the cool thing about art is that it doesn't matter what someone else thinks. It's the person who's looking at it gets mm-hmm. to make their own interpretation. If someone looks at it and says, hey, I want to put that on my wall or use that as a bookmark, then that's the important part. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, th- being... Uh, being willing to try new things. And for me, I just find that super engaging. It's a way to occupy my mind. Uh, Maybe I use it to avoid thinking about other things or avoid some introspection that other people are more comfortable with. But Mm -hmm. all of these things that I, that I do is uh, really a way to keep myself busy. Mm -hmm. Um, And I know that the only way that I'm going to learn new things is to go in a direction of something that I don't know. Mm -hmm. We forget, I think, especially as physicians, and when we're that's we're in that world so much, and we know physicians, and that's all we really talk to. Like how much we take for granted with what we know. Like we take for granted our knowledge base, and yeah. it's really so humbling when you talk to someone who has who was completely outside of the realm of medicine, and realize and you can take that kind of outside look at yourself and realize wow I have a lot of knowledge that not everybody it doesn't come naturally to everybody else and that can be a really really fascinating experience I think oh sure yeah and it's you know it's humbling at the same time I mean I think a lot of times when I'm in the ER and I'm doing a procedure or you know a spinal tap for example that's a pretty um, basic procedure that you learn as an intern or maybe as a fourth year and you know having having a job where you get to take a sample of fluid from someone's spine like that's just it's weird and cool at the same time um and i'm constantly reminding myself of what a privilege it is to have that that ability um to have been able to receive the education that allows me to do that and to have patients place their trust in me but as soon as I walk out the door of the ER, you know, I'm in the grocery store wondering how to cook a chicken breast or, <laughs> or, you know, trying to get gas and not able to work the machine and, you know, just all these normal daily tasks that, um, that other people can do easily. And for whatever reason, you know, the gifts that I've been given don't always add up to being able to, you know, cook a meal for myself <laughs> very well. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of a silly example, but um, yeah, there's a real a real depth of, of knowledge and a lot of time spent learning a specific thing. Um, so, you know, learning watercolor is something that kids can do or high school students can do, but I chose to do it now just because it's a, uh, you know, relaxing thing and something new. Mm-hmm. That's great. Well, let's end, let's end with um, one thing, one um, piece of advice you'd give my listeners about um, overcoming imposter syndrome. Uh, one piece of advice about overcoming imposter syndrome, I would say, is to be uh, know that it's possible and know that you're, if you're thinking about taking on a task or a skill, that you have the ability to do it. You just need to learn how to do it and receive the positive constructive criticism to make yourself better. There are people out there that want you to succeed, and those people will give you the feedback that will help you reinforce the confidence that you need to move forward. Awesome. Thank you so much, Suzanne. I appreciate your time so much.